It's Happy Times and Places. I'm Toby Haydoke and I'm under orders to select my favourite things about a Doctor Who story chosen by a friend and to see if they match with their favourite things. And if they don't, I get dragged off by a scary claw. Hello, Toby, and anyone who's watching or listening to this. Uh, my name's Michael Dennis. I'm a writer and stage manager. Thank you for inviting me in. The story I've chosen for you to watch is The Macra Terror. Well, welcome everybody. It's episode three of The Macra Terror. And uh, that's Michael Dennis, you've just heard, who uh, is the friend I have asked to contribute to this episode of uh, this well, this sequence of episodes of Happy Times and Places. Uh, I've never met Michael. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm reminded because uh, Michael, uh, I mean, has has written some impressive stuff. Dark Sublime was a play that was on at the West End. I used to see his name on posters on the escalators. And Marina Sirtis was in the play, and I'm thinking, see, this is where you know proper you know proper t you know TV sci-fi royalty and and, and a, you know and a playwright who's obviously who's a fan of this stuff gets to do stuff at the West End and, and thinking oh I wish I was part of that gang you know and uh, and he, he uh, and he wrote one of the brilliant um, sets of uh, queers that uh, Mark Gatiss did for was it BBC4 um, oh um, wonderful wonderful work and so when somebody like Michael you know lets on that they have an inkling of who the f I am? Uh, I find it terribly flattering. Uh, so it's it's lovely that uh, that Michael has contributed to this, and of course he's going to give his his insight as a as a playwright to this, which which means it's probably going to be slightly more highfalutin than whatever I trot out by going. Um, that control panel was in Frontier in Space. Uh, before you write in, there's not a control panel from Frontier in this space in this uh, story. I was just doing that as an amusement. Um, so, look, I've had to get up and change the disc to get to episode three. That's convenient layout. Um, but I am now on the episode reconstructions menu, which I'm pleased to note has a space after uh, a, an equal amount of spaces uh, around the dashes uh, uh, between the number and the letter play. Uh, so um, all is right with the world temporarily. Uh, so listen... Uh, Toby, we sometimes might ask for proof that you have a a nerky spectrum -y sort of mind. Yes, well, I can't. I'm, I mean, I can't think what sort of thing you'd cite. So listen. Um, episode three of the Macro Terror, chosen by the estimable uh, Michael Dennis, and I'm going to press enter. I'm going to play without narration. In three, two, one. Uh, and here we go. Uh, so we are on to episode three of the Macro Terror, which I think is 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 proving to be. And I remember when I did this for Running Through Corridors, the book I did with Rob Shearman, where we watched the entire series in order. Um, a hugely underrated story. I, I'm, I'm sure it was a ten out of ten for me when I, when I did running through corridors. Uh, it's slightly harder to assess it's, it, 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 it when I'm sort of talking at the same time. But I, I found it's, it's raced by. I think it's very gripping. I think it has subtext, which is marvelous. But I think it has that 
great Doctor Who thing of scares. And I like the fact clearly at the end of episode two, the map that the claw grabbing, grabbing the controller was was on the screen. Uh, and, and at the beginning of episode three, it was, um, you know, we actually we actually saw it full screen or vice versa or a mixture of the two. But we have we have two separate, slightly different versions of the claw grabbing the neck. Um, which I presume is one is from one episode and one is from the other. Uh, but that means we get that moment rescued from the Australian f- furnace twice. Ah, and I mentioned that I would say, I would explain Macra Beast, uh, which is definitely a part of uh, my lexicon. Uh, because when I went into town, I was living with my friend Mark, slightly lost between... Uh, university and you know embarking on any sort of proper career I was doing a bit I was doing stand-up a bit uh, but I was probably was I working at a restaurant by that time but I was a bit in limbo uh and I went and got the Ice Warriors collection um to get a lovely decent quality copy of of the Ice Warriors which hadn't been kicking around I had a grotty boot oh there's cine clips here as well Oh, I'd forgotten about that. That's a nice, lovely shot of Trout and Gaffouring. Yeah, so we get cine clips from Australia. I think they're from Australia as well. Um, but he, the, the person who took the cine clips tended to be mostly interested in uh, shots of the regulars, which is lovely. Uh, so it means we get some nice shots of the Doctor and stuff, but it, it means we don't get shots of things that we might not have photographic evidence of elsewhere. Um uh, and his, uh, as Sandra Bryant is credited in episode one, we'll talk about Cheeky in episode four, uh, from The War Machines, playing Kitty. I forgot her name in episode one. Uh, so Officia here uh, is played by John Harvey, who is Professor Brett uh, in uh, The War Machines. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, poor old me, Doc. Uh, good old Terence Lodge, good actor. Um, so, yes, so... Uh, the, the, so I, I got that uh, I got that uh, cassette of uh, Doctor Who the Ice and the Ice Warriors, which also had a missing years documentary, in order to showcase uh, those clips that had been rescued from the Australian censors. Uh, and there's a wonderful interview with the discoverer of them, Damien Shanahan, who since then I've had the pleasure of meeting on several occasions, and he's a charming and enthusiastic fellow who's very good company. Uh, and, and there's a lovely photo of him looking very stylish and australian uh on on the beach uh, and he says that you know and, they, and and when he introduces the the bit about the the the, the macro uh clips he says you know and these these are good because you get to see the full macro beast uh and i i always think of the macro as a beast from now on never having thought of it as a beast before but it is a beast uh so i hope you now go around saying uh, the full macro beast um so thanks to damien shanahan for being intelligent uh, uh, and uh, archaeological enough to go and uh, prize these clips from the hands of the Australian censors for us all to enjoy. Um, uh, so and there's another cine clip. Look at that, and it's of Troughton as well. And it's oh, they're longer than you remember. Oh, so isn't it funny? We've got clips from two different sources of. Uh, of episode three of the Macro. I like the sort of childlike way he's it's slightly patronizing, but when Troughton does it, it's not patronizing. You imagine he's one of those people that w- would speak to a child in a way that made the child feel 
like they were totally being spoke to on a kindly and on a level but to adults it would sound like they were talking down to them because because it is a slightly uh, unnatural way of speaking but but it's so beautiful the way that he does it his vocal mannerisms are so lovely uh and so gentle and benign um even though he can be dark and spooky he's he he, he does he has that lovely sort of innocent guilelessness but even when he's doing that I look at that face and another cine clip look at that kind of you know the 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 well, sort of a bit like the story the surface of Patrick Troughton is uh, jolly and clown like and and uh, you know playful all of the things that the colony is but there's also a darkness there's a calculating intelligence going on underneath and perhaps even a malignancy uh, i i i don't buy him as the dark doctor um as many say oh by the way it really got my got on my tits is well, i followed one of those uh facebook things saying we've listed the and somebody's written this we've listed the best doctors from worst to best and you go okay well and they put Troughton at the bottom and their lame argument was, well, we don't have many of his episodes. Well, one, that's not a reason to put somebody at the bottom. And there are enough to form an opinion. Uh, and if you, uh, you and, and they're available as well. But, I mean, any idea that Troughton should be anywhere near the bottom, just on uh, acting ability alone, uh, is ludicrous um, and annoys me. <laughs> um, but it was such a mealy-mouthed reason as well. Uh, it was basically saying we, we we probably haven't got any to hand so we haven't been able to check you don't even guess Troughton at the bottom sorry uh, and if Troughton is your least favourite doctor there's nothing for you in this podcast I'm so sorry <laughs> um, uh, but I haven't even spoken with the thing that John Davis that I, I said he said that um, uh he 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 thought there were more than one macro beast model. Um, in that Shawcraft short film, I did think when I first saw it, oh God, there are more than one because there was a there was a sort of white one. But uh, uh, somebody explained to me, no, 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 the white is is it at at at, at one stage in the build, and then the, the you know there's another the next time you see it. Although it's actually you know the film could have all been taken on one day, but apparently it it hasn't been it's that they're this it's the same bits but you know with a paint job and, and and more work done so what i'd mistaken for for lots of macro models was uh was was the same one at different stages i love the tra fact that Trout does his maths on chalk scribbling on the walls i used to scribble on my bedroom walls because i'd seen people do it i think uh and i'd seen people draw on their bedroom walls and be artistic and um so I tried to do I God, I've just rewatched V. I drew a V soldier and I'd, I'd, and I'd imagined what it would be like because real, real artists can draw on bedroom walls and it looks really good. And mine was just a crap pencil drawing. No shadow, no shading, no shadow. I was, it's really sad. Um, and he chalks himself up a score of 10 out of 10. I love that. Um, I love the business with the chalk that he does and the, that sort of scampy, anarchisty stuff. Um, I like that. That's a secret known only to three people. We don't know who those three people are, but it's a, it's just slightly more believable than saying only I know that, uh, you know, or whatever. Um, it just widens it out a little bit. 
that little word I like to use, not a little word, verisimilitude. Um, so, yes, the other thing with, with John Davis was that when I interviewed him, I had a, a, a coup de interview occur in that... <laughs> to Troughton changes his mark uh, on the chalk. Uh, superb. Um, to 11 out of 10, I love that. Um, uh, is that Graham Lehman, who plays the controller, and I know I mentioned this in The Seeds of Death, but I can't guarantee that everybody listens to these, and I've got, I've got 25 minutes to fill. Graham Lehman, this is his first Doctor Who. Uh, what does the controller not do? He does not stand up. He is a seated character. He then comes back in Fury from the Deep and plays Price, who is another character that we cannot see. Uh, and in the footage we do have of him, I, th I think Troughton slightly moves him from his chair, but he's there in it paralysed with fear. But Price is the guy who's at the desk, you know, talking to the rigs. And then he comes back in the Seeds of Death as the Grand Marshal, who you only see, you know sedentary or just close-up of his head so he's probably seated in his space chair and then he's a time lord in episode one of colony in space seated uh and then he's a time lord again in the three doctors the one who's at the at the uh at, at the screen uh you know talking to the president and the and the chancellor seated uh, and he's in Doomwatch, and uh, he's 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 on crutches. Now there is a, there are a couple of things. He's in he's in uh, oh a production I saw of of John's was it Nana maybe where he, he does have a few moments where he's he's, he's on his feet clearly without support. But he was a, a disabled actor, uh, and he, he was either on, on crutches or a wheelchair user. Um, uh, and I, so I did this for John. I said, of course, you cast Graham Lehman. He said, oh, I cast him a few times. I said, yes, because, of course, he was disabled, wasn't he? And he, John had no memory of that whatsoever. So it was a great bit that I actually chopped out of the Who's Round because uh, because um, uh, 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 you know, it was a moment I thought was going to be a great talking point. And, in fact, John hadn't remembered it at all. Uh, and, I, and I began to doubt myself and go, well, am I wrong about this? Uh, but Margot Hayhoe, who worked with Graham a few times, said, no, 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 he definitely had mobility issues. And then when I was doing my play about um, Spike Milligan and subsumed myself in Spike stuff, uh, Graham Lehman and Spike Milligan served in the same unit, I think. And at reunion, Spike used to go and pick Graham up because Graham could not, uh, was not mobile enough to transport himself. Uh, and I've since met Graham's son, and apparently Graham, towards the end of his life, got multiple sclerosis or some some sort of condition that, decreased his mobility as time went on and he actually played a corpse on stage in a play uh, rather than give up you know being involved in theatre and acting full stop so um, yeah so you know a, 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 a laudable exercise in casting a disabled performer uh, which in those days I think you'd probably make more of whereas in, in, in these days sorry you'd make more of whereas in those days they sort of hide it which is interesting um these cine clips have been gloriously restored. I don't know who did that. I assume Peter Crocker. Well done, Peter, because I've only ever seen them very sort of dark and flickery and sort of all folded in on themselves. Um, so, uh, and yes, John Harvey, I think, is fairly terrible in 
the 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 war machines with his uh, lisping about in his bow tie, talking in that slightly sci-fi manner. Um, but he's really good in this as Officia, who was credited on uh, sort of episode guides and things as official Smallo, uh, and which which is not as good a part. You'd never want to play a part that's a job description, says the guy who played Cyril in An Adventure in Space and Time rather than Barman. And that was entirely down to Mark Gatiss going, Barman won't look so good on the credits, will it? Give yourself a name. So Cyril is named after Cyril Shapps. But that meant for ages that people thought I was the, the caveman guy. This is Roger May, not Tony Robinson, IMDb. Um, and uh, uh, so... Poor old John Harvey, if he'd have cared about such a thing, which he wouldn't have done, flicking through Doctor Who magazine, would have gone, no, I wasn't official. Official sounds like just a, you know, a, 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 a guy at a desk doing a bit of a job for a couple of lines. I was an officia, a character, and, and quite a good character who does quite a lot, but uh, it's, it's like calling somebody minister or, uh, or, or uh, um, town clerk. You know, it's, 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 it's actually a job title with just a, a letter missing at the end. Traffic warder. Um, so um, I'd have asked for a name change um, but he looks he looks slightly different I like the glasses on John Harvey um, and and I like the way that Patrick Troughton sort of runs rings uh, 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 runs rings around him a bit here and of course yes now we're in the mines the dark underbelly of the colony uh Oh, because Ben let him, Ben let him go, and I, and of course that's you know that's the ultimate Doctor Who thing, isn't it? Is that is that a chink of humanity survives, and 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 humanity is indomitable in the face of you know mind control and aliens and 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 dark underbellies of of, of everything, including us. The essence of decency and goodness lingers, uh, and and. You know the doctor's going to help to prize that out of Ben because that's what the doctor does. But it's a it's a hopeful message, isn't it? Uh, I mean, of course, it's useful to the plot having 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 Ben lapse whenever we need him to. And Medoc's dead. Uh, Medoc survives in the book. He just suddenly comes back in the final paragraph. But uh, but presumably Medoc dies because uh, well, he's not he's he's not much not much use to the story anymore. But he's been a good character and. Uh, yeah, Terence Lodge is a great servant to Doctor Who. Bless him, Terry Lodge. Uh, he was also he was Elizabeth Sladen's landlord uh, for a while, and he was he was great mates with Brian Miller. In fact, he's got a um, he, he's in a home now, Terry. But he uh, when when he wasn't when I visited him at his home, he he'd got a picture of himself and Brian Miller on stage uh, on on his desk. Uh, he was mates with Albert Finney as well, um, Terence. Um, and he was good mates with Bernard Hepton. In fact, he was great mates with Bernard Hepton, Terence Lodge, and they kept in touch. Uh, Bernard Hepton, the fine actor from Secret Army and uh, uh, Colditz and not Doctor Who, although he was considered for the role of Dyson in The Tenth Planet. Uh, Hepton was a great actor and a, and a great theatre director as well. A lot of people speak very highly of his theatre directing. Uh, but yeah, they were all great mates. Um
so yes, the dark underbelly and the gas and and and, and, and the gas that feeds the macra. Um, and Ian Stewart Black was an interesting writer to have working on Doctor as well, wasn't he? Oh yes, and this is that this is this is uh, Sunar, isn't it? Jane Enshaw, who I think is in America. Uh, I know I've I've come across a lot of the um, the sort of dancing ladies. I I can see that the foul-minded of you will now be making their own joke. Kids, well done, good, consider it done. Um, uh, a lot of the dancing extras in this. Uh, are people that uh, I've hung about. I, I, yeah, I've I've bumped into. Uh, you know, oh yes, I did a doctor who once. Um, one of them drinks at the club for and actors where I'm a member, and um, but also one of the extras. This is actually Maureen Morris, the Queen Spider, who's the wife of George Galaccio, uh, the, the 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 voice of the Great One. Maureen Morris is an extra in this. Um, oh, I like the way they have the eyes glow there in the darkness. Uh, uh, on the telesnap reconstruction that was well because i i always i do think the macro eye lights are a little bit phony because they're clearly lights on the end of stalks but i suppose as they as they emerge out of the gloom that would be quite spooky uh that looks really great in that picture and of course loads of dry ice and loads of smoke will really help but yeah this is the sort of cobwebby mines underneath and look jamie's all dirty and grimy uh it's uh it's uh it's it's a it's a further extension of this metaphor about you know the happy and gay colony which which we haven't really had much of uh this episode of course we had that great you know start with all the dancing the drum majorettes and all of that and then in the in the last episode we 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 have we have the cheerleaders and uh, and, and the practice and all of that uh just to remind us what this is but you know that really starkly over cheery opening that we had is gradually sort of being peeled away and you're seeing the mechanics underneath it as of course any anything that has a facade of jollity or color has got to have you know dirty gears grinding it underneath just for just just to keep it moving you know um look at look at that face of his as he's i, I love watching track as he works something out and he's got this brilliant expressive eyebrows No, they're doing the poison gases to feed the macra, um, and and you know, and this is this is really the stuff of uh, that that you know, I think what one was expecting of the story is of monsters lurking in the darkness. But uh, it's interesting how they don't really rely on on the macra for a, a lot of the story because that's not really what it's about. The macra represent something, you know, they represent the dark underbelly of a supposed utopia uh there's something trapped down there they wish to keep up and having something underneath isn't it isn't that is it, i mean you know it's as stark as it gets it's not a metaphor even it's it's pretty on the nose and there's two macro which i'm assuming were done with clever shooting um uh, uh maybe mirrors i don't know but i but i uh i know that 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 John Davis was visually ambitious uh, and certainly later on was a was a, a technically very skilled director. Um, 
Graham Lehman gets a credit in every episode, although he's only on screen for that for that sort of cliffhanger moment where he gets where he gets hoiked off. Uh, so that's quite nice for him. I'm thinking at top speed, says Patrick, says the Doctor. Oh, I've got to think of something that I like about this. And, and and this is good because, you know, they're cut off from Jamie. They know that he's down there. They know that uh, he's down there trapped with something really nasty. It's killed me, Doc. Uh, I wonder if you... The, 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 you, you do hear me, Doc, sort of go, ah, don't you? So, I don't know, again, would that be a claw just coming in and grabbing him? Uh, shame they didn't cut that for Australia. Um, it's a nice bit of shooting as well. It's a nice set with uh, see-through things that you can shoot the Doctor and Polly through. Oh, yeah. Because uh, uh, I think this is going to be one of those episode endings that, because uh, I'm sure on the soundtrack, yeah, the, 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 when I say the soundtrack, it was a bootleg taped off air at the time. And I'm sure they, the, the, the episode endings were artificially bunged into them because they had initially been cut together without episode endings. Uh, and I think that's when the that's when the cliffhanger came in, when he said full pressure now or full pressure action, he said then. And maybe it was that moment. But because... It's difficult to tell when the cliffhanger is with just just the music because obviously it's a very visual cliffhanger and it's it's Jamie trapped with two macro on either side, uh, which I'm I'm deciding was absolutely blooming terrifying. But it's it's really difficult to discern from this, despite the best efforts of this uh, uh, of this of this reconstruction. You know, this is this is where we could really do with some visuals. But that's the it's that. That musical sting, isn't it? Suggests, uh oh, macra, and I love the way that they've illuminated the eyes with the the lights. That looks absolutely brilliant. Um, so sorry, I sort of ran out of things to 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 say there. It's partially because I was trying to discern what was going on. It really is. Uh, it is Sunar Jane Enshaw. I'm sure she's in America. Uh, Dennis Kocher, Richard Beale, Robert Jewell. Um, yeah, uh, so Kenneth Sharp was an excellent designer. Sets for the cause of Axos are superb. Um, we never, we managed, never managed to get hold of him either. I think we must have to assume that he's no longer with us. Um, the frame interviewed him, uh, of course. Uh, so uh, he did speak on record and gave them some nice pictures. Um, so listen, what do I like best about the Macra Terra? Part three. Uh, well, I I like the business. I'm going to sort of open this out. I, I like the business with the doctor writing his sums and doing all that stuff, and he's uh, on 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 the chalk. But he's also he's largely he's. He, He's not on the run much in this story. I know he does that at the end of episode one with, with me, Doc, but otherwise he's sort of having to mind his P's and Q's and, and hang around with Peter Jeffrey and with John Harvey. Sort of 
undermining them quite in quite an underhand manner and he's very anarchistic in this from from you know the getting his get 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 getting his uh, uh getting himself messed up to to the sort of the way he the, the way he sort of goads the authority figures with this sort of childlike innocence where you know he's really sort of laying it on to them a little bit um so i think but partially because it's it's embodied by the sequence with the with the maths that he does where he goes oh have i been oh aren't i clever you know that 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 mock surprise it's 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 the it's it's the trouton doctor's way of of that that he's he really is an anarchist in this and he's got those lines about do this don't you know do this do that don't do anything of the sort um and and and, and he's written as as a as as a, as a bit of an agitator um and and somebody who who looks like he's playing the system and, and looks like he's obeying and is and is a perfectly good guy and un, underneath he's i think he's more of a mischief maker in this than he is than he is in in perhaps some of his later stories because he's he really is a an agent provocateur uh so it's yeah it's it's how it's how the the, the trout and doctor is portrayed like that because I, I i sometimes as i say don't quite buy the dark doctor thing with with patrick Troughton, but i i i really do in this i think there's a there are, he's, he's like an onion in this and that's appropriate for a story with a society that has different layers that need peeling away it's all about peeling away of layers which makes for very good drama and it means that the actors can play things at you know at, at different levels as well so it's the yeah it's the multi it's the it's the patrick troughton's it's the second doctor as anarchist uh manipulative anarchist uh that i'm going to choose for episode three what has michael chosen oh he's uh he's got his he's got his fist to his mouth as though he's not quite sure in the video let's see what he's going to say i'm going to be concise with this one it's the doctor working out the formula awarding himself 10 out of 10 receiving confirmation his answer is correct and upping his score by one more point yes it's a wonderful moment that makes me laugh out loud simply by listening to it and looking at a single telesnap this allows me a tiny digression which is to say that i always watch the reconstructions i'm not fond of the animations fine though they undoubtedly are i want to try and see the episodes as they would have been and the reward for doing that, for following a series of telesnaps that change every 40 seconds or so, are those glorious moments that you forget are coming when a sensor clip is dropped in and the whole thing comes to life for literally often a second. It's magic. I wonder, is there any comparable experience for any other group of people to this willing together of disparate shards and fragments of text across different media? Anyway, that's by the by. 11 out of 10. It's a lovely character moment. Because the Doctor is, all the Doctors are, funny and proud and petulant and brave and shallow and clever and selfish and flawed. And it's his flaws that make us take him, her, to our heart. But it's a specifically second Doctorish moment too. Troughton has such delight in it, you really feel the joy of that extra mark. And because I mean I, I I was talking about the Machiavellian and Dan Doctor, but I also you know um, I I used as the as the springboard for that the the chalk sequence. Uh, so 
I'm going to revel in the joy of that extra mark because I'm going to give myself that mark. I think I, I think there was enough in that, seeing as this is a, you know this is a pretty needle in a haystack kind of exercise. I think there was enough crossover there that uh, I'm I'm going to take a point from Michael for that. Uh, now, if you're keeping score at home, you don't have to grant me that. That's absolutely fine. If if you are keeping score at home, by the way, I, please read read. Read The Mill on the Floss. Well, I've never read it. You might have done. If you've read Mill on the Floss, learn to make pasta. Uh, <laughs> do something. Do something other than keep, keep my tally going here. Um, and I love, what was it, shards of fragments of disparate uh, media uh, to make up. There. I liked uh, Michael's summation of that. Yes, and indeed, who else but Doctor Who fans would... If, if you spoke to a normal person about you know what what stories you like oh i like that one. Oh, can i watch it well you can't really because it doesn't exist well how do you know you like it well because obviously i, I know it really well yeah but, uh, and, and they've got the soundtrack and some pictures and some clips and somebody's put the and now i mean it used to be that you know doctor who fans would would build these things i in fact remember suggesting it to somebody once saying well what you could do is you could build you could you know you could you could you could you could you could, you could build build it with you know existing clips and photos and this fan go there's there's like four photos it just wouldn't work and go yeah no you're right he was older than me and i felt young and stupid and of course then the tele snaps turned up and now that's what people do but not only fans do it it's available on a commercial release with and without narration and also in animated form i mean that is unprecedented and unique to doctor who fans and bonkers uh, and aren't we lucky that 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 it it means that you know in terms of they are and i do watch the animations but for a different experience um and i think they're great um so i'm not i'm I'm not quite with with michael on that but i understand but he he wasn't being mean was he um but it means that in animated form and in the occasional moving picture from two different sources, the Australian censors and the individual who took the cine camera bits uh, off screen. Uh, and of course, thanks to John Cure taking the telesnaps, it means that actually for split seconds, for milliseconds and in slightly different formats, there are in the blink of an eye such things as macro. And hopefully there will be an episode four as well. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest is Michael Dennis, who can be found on Twitter at Michael underscore Dennis. These podcasts are only possible thanks to the generosity of patrons who include Samuel I don't have a surname for you Samuel but I'm grateful nonetheless Edward Salt John Sheehan Paul Shields Trevor Smith Richard Smith David Spencer David Spofforth Adam Stone Paul Taylor Greaves Jason Thompson Sidney Troat John Turner Gary Wales Jeff Walker Alistair Wallace Gavin Ware Peter Ware Rich Wiggins Barry Platt Darren Mackay Joe Llewellyn Ian Key, Siobhan Galichon, Jason Gorman, Chris Bone, Chris Dunford-Kelk, John Deere and Rob Dawson. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. (laughs) 
if you would like to join that list of names, although you don't have to be credited if you don't want to, some people prefer to remain anonymous, and I can understand why you don't want to be seen to be funding this sort of thing, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Your anonymity will be protected uh, if you so desire it. Uh, you can join from as little as £3 a month, and signing up free in advance gets you a 10% discount on top of that. There are all sorts of different tiers, but it's fairly egalitarian. Most things are available from the cheapest tier. However, a monthly commitment is quite a lot to ask, but there is Kofi where you can uh, pass me like I'm a busker uh, on the tube and throw a couple of coffers my way if you decide to that day or if you like the tune I'm playing or if you just think I look hungry or full of promise. (laughs) Uh, I think those days are gone. But anyway, kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. But I know it's tricky, times are tight, and uh, you've got better things to spend your money on than anorak-clad jesters. In which case, do you know what costs you nothing? Going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and giving these podcasts a five-star rating and perhaps a line or two of review. That just really helps any other passing punters to uh, perhaps zero in on the person making the noise and, uh, and uh, checking them out. Uh, that's so yeah if you could do that i would be very very grateful all it will cost you is your time and it will very much help my algorithms and they really need all the help they can get and i run a comedy night in manchester called excess malarkey i've done so since the dawn of time well 1997 during which it's won loads of awards which is why we keep going strong charging as little as possible on a Tuesday night at 8pm, some fantastic acts from the live circuit glued together by me. And I know, obviously, not everybody listening to this will live in Manchester or even the UK. However, it's available worldwide in its internet form, twitch.tv forward slash malarkey on the first Sunday of every month. And there's an archive up there on that channel of past glories and examples of the sort of thing we get up to. The uh, online show is obviously a little bit different because it's not a live comedy venue, but it's got comics from around the world uh, trying to make you laugh and bring people together and have fun. And it's good. So uh, check out both of those things. Excess Malarkey is on Twitter at Excess Malarkey, as am I at Toby Haydoke, as are these podcasts at Haydoke Podcasts. Please spread the word and enjoy yourself while you're doing so. Weird thing is, I'm recording this on the build-up to Christmas. It's the beginning of December. In fact, it's the 3rd of December as I record this, which is my 26th anniversary as a stand-up comedian. 26 years ago today, I uh, I took my first tentative steps onto the Thirsty Scholar stage in Manchester. Um, but that will mean nothing, because that's only relevant to me sitting in this booth, because... The patrons, I think you're getting this about a week later. Yeah, about a week later, maybe two weeks later, because it's it's episode three, isn't it? So a couple of weeks afterwards, the non-patrons, oh, you won't be hearing this till the sun's out. But uh, I suppose that's an illustration of the time difference to anybody that's bothered to listen this far. Um, So there we go. Happy Advent, everyone, who who, who isn't in, in Advent, apart from patrons, but you're a bit further into Advent and probably the... The novelty's worn off. I pronounced it Advent and Advent there, uh, both in the same sentence. What a skilled linguist I am. <laughs>